Hello. Welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan. My goal is for us to discover jazz old and new together by listening to a wide array of selections and exploring different jazz styles and topics related to jazz. We'll learn more about what it is, what it isn't, how it's developed, and what we can listen for to enhance our experience. This program is on Trent Radio, 92.7 on your dial, and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. The heart of jazz seems to be the improvised, at least mostly improvised, jazz solo. I say mostly because it's also debatable how much... uh, How much of what the soloist plays is a repeat of something they've done before and plan to do this time, and how much of it is spontaneous and thought of right in the moment? I have a list of what have been termed essential solos, according to Jazz Times magazine, who asked some magazine contributors and some top musicians to give a list of five to ten improvised jazz solos they consider to be their favorites, lines they've been humming for years. The magazine described 40 of them. Today and next week as well, I'm going to play some of the recordings where these solos have been presented, usually playing the whole track, or at least most of the tracks, since these solos don't exist in a void, starting with the one that had far more votes than any of the others. For most jazz fans, it doesn't need an introduction, but I'll give you a hint. It's the trumpet solo near the beginning of the piece. Thank you. 
So why do jazz fans go crazy about that Miles Davis trumpet solo? Non-jazz fans might listen to it and say, so what? Which happens to be the name of the piece. More so than any of the other solos on that track, this is the one raved about. Music historian and journalist Ashley Kahn says this about it. If there's a grand statement being made, it's one of minimal gesture and insouciance perfectly reflected in the song's title. Unquote. He tells us that this solo serves as a primer on improvisation for first-year music students and how Miles keeps it simple, like it's a new melody, rather than jumping up and down octaves. This piece is considered to be modal, which simply means that it's based more on a scale of notes rather than on specific chords, which gives the musicians the opportunity to do a lot more of what they want to do in the solos. That Miles Davis solo, which I'll talk about more in a moment, has been commented on and analyzed. The solos in that piece, so what? They all follow very nicely from each other, even though each one is very different. That lyrical Miles Davis solo is followed by a more frantic Coltrane solo, with not much space between the notes, and then Cannonball Adderley in his alto solo seems to be almost like a mediator between those two. But it is the Miles Davis solo that we're focusing on here. And Ashley Kahn has written a whole book just on the Kind of Blue album, where So What is the first track. I'll summarize some of what Kahn says about that solo. Then I'll play just the Miles Davis trumpet solo again, and see if what Kahn says about it fits your perceptions. Kahn compares it to a conversation. He states that from our earliest years as infants, we are told stories by our parents. And from the time we are ourselves able to talk, we are constantly practicing and developing this skill through conversation. Conversation is rhythmical and never the same twice. And he surmises that Davis, maybe not consciously, regurgitates rhythms from vocal interactions. He says that on more than one occasion, Davis plays in bursts and follows these bursts with rests, similar to the act of speech. Quote, he expresses what he wishes to say and stops. In the following space, he appears to listen, he catches his breath, and then he replies. Unquote. As well, Kahn states that the middle range of the trumpet, in which Miles plays 75% of the time on a solo, is within a directly comparable human vocal range. Miles Davis himself has stated that his preference is for a round sound, like a round voice. So let's hear the solo again, about two minutes of So What by Miles Davis, and see if what Ashley Kahn says about that solo resonates with you. Thank you. 
Jazz musicians so often tell me that a good solo has to be like a story, and hearing Miles Davis on So What and reading the musings of musicologist Ashley Kahn helps me to discover what's meant by that. But I must confess that, like a lot of people who aren't trained in jazz, I sometimes find that standard form of most jazz since the 1950s tends to bore me at times. You, you know what I mean by that standard form. It consists of a theme or a head, then each instrumentalist doing a solo, even the bassist and drummer, feel so formulaic at times. Now, is that a heresy for me to say that? One of the things I'm trying to do in today's program is to challenge that and discover the excitement that comes out of a great jazz solo. So let's look at a really early one from 1927, Louis Armstrong. American jazz saxophonist Scott Robinson raves about Armstrong's solo on this track. Here's what he says. This is an incredible track from the very beginning with a blistering Johnny Dodd solo that's the clarinetist, by the way. And yet, when Louis' stop time chorus begins, time seems to stand still. It's like that moment when you arrive at the edge of a cliff after hiking through a forest, and the entire vista just suddenly opens up and it takes your breath away. The solo is a masterpiece of rhythm, harmony, and melody, but what comes across the most is joy just pure joy in living, unquote. Wow. <laughs> so listen for that. The solo starts just before the two-minute mark. Louis Armstrong, Potato Head Blues from 1927. Okay, so did you see that entire vista suddenly open up as Louis Armstrong played his solo? 
Actually, I have to confess that even though the metaphor might have seemed a little extreme, I got it. I mean, that really was quite the solo, and that expansiveness really shone through. This is Discovering Jazz. I'm Larry Sadman. Today, the first part of a series called The Jazz Solo. Now, since the essential solos written about in the October 2017 edition of Jazz Times magazine were almost all American, I asked people subscribed to the Jazz Peterborough Facebook page for ideas of great recordings where a Canadian musician soloed in a way that really stood out. I got a terrific response, and interestingly enough, the one that most resonated with me was also the only Canadian to be mentioned in that Jazz Times article. It was Peterborough jazz bassist Dan Fortan, who, uh, who's making a lot of positive waves, by the way, in Toronto, who recommended this recording. The album is Sunny Meets Hawk from 1963, where Montreal-born pianist Paul Blay stood out from the great playing of Sonny Rollins and Coleman Hawkins to put forth this amazing solo filled with unique and surprising twists. When I asked Dan Fortan why he thought this solo was so amazing, here's what he wrote. Oh man, it's really tough to put into words. The melodies that he plays are pretty out harmonically, but because the shape of the lines, the rhythmic and melodic shapes, I mean, are kind of familiar, it starts to sound comfy in a way. It's sort of a study in how you can make any note sound amazing at any time by thinking about context and playing with conviction, unquote. The tune is All the Things You Are, a lovely standard that has been done by many different artists, jazz and non-jazz alike. I'm going to start by playing just the Paul Blay piano solo that comes about uh, three and a half minutes into the piece. I'll play the whole thing because the solos that Coleman Hawkins does before Paul Blay, and then after Blay, the one that Sonny Rollins puts out, they're also inspiring. First, just the Paul Blay solo. And you heard just a touch there of Sonny Rollins coming in with his solo. Going to play the whole selection right now. Coleman Hawkins on tenor sax, 
Paul Blay on piano, Sonny Rollins also on tenor sax, Roy McCurdy drums, and Bob Cranshaw bass. All the things you are.
Coleman Hawkins and Sonny Rollins with Canadian pianist Paul Blay. All the things you are. When Rollins and Hawkins are playing together, doesn't it sound like Rollins is trying to throw Coleman Hawkins a little off balance? But try as he might, he can't. This is part one of a series called The Jazz Solo on Discovering Jazz on Trent Radio and Peterborough and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. Next, Australian-Malaysian bassist Linda May Han O. Oh made a recommendation or two for her choice of the greatest improvised jazz solos. In the Jazz Times article, she talks about Oliver Nelson, bandleader, clarinetist, and saxophonist, and his 1961 recording of his composition, Stolen Moments. She states that the relaxed pacing and motivic development make this solo a strong, bold statement that offers a stark contrast to the preceding solos by Freddie Hubbard and Eric Dolphy. She adds, There is something special about Nelson's statement that makes you lean in and listen, holding long tones at times over more than one chord. Nelson says a lot with not a lot of notes, while also utilizing a wider span of the pitch range on the instrument. She describes the augmented sound at the end as being like a brief brush stroke of contrasting color. More technically, it starts with three notes based on ascending fourths. Then in the second chorus, he builds it around minor thirds a whole step apart. I'll play the whole selection. After the head, the main theme of the, of the song, the solos go into a pretty straight blues pattern. First Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, then Eric Dolphy on flute, then the Oliver Nelson solo that Linda O oh voted as being one of her favorites that starts just after the four-minute mark and last pianist Bill Evans. 
On bass is Paul Chambers and the drummer is Roy Haynes. Oliver Nelson's Stolen Moments. Thank you. 
Oliver Nelson, Stolen Moments. Of the 40 essential solos selected by musicians and jazz writers, over half of them were by saxophonists, and six of them were by, by John Coltrane. I struggled as to which of those six to choose and play in this program, and decided to go with Crescent from the album of the same title by the John Coltrane Quartet from 1964. I went with it primarily because I liked the write-up about it by saxophonist and flautist David Lieben. He writes, This solo is so well-balanced between fast and lyrical phrases versus more chromatic ideas that it could pass any compositional review process with flying colors. Add to that some of the most relaxed yet intense swinging achieved by this stellar rhythm section, and you have jazz perfection. Since I'm always seeking perfection, I thought I'd better play it. Thank you. 
It is pretty amazing, and it does sound like it's virtually all Coltrane, although there is also McCoy Tyner on piano, Jimmy Garrison bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. Crescent. Time for one more example of one of the 40 improvisations you need to know, according to Jazz Times magazine. It's from a 1958 album by Ahmed Jamal, but it's not Jamal who is featured in the write-up. Jazz bassist Sean Clayton talks about the amazing bass work of Israel Crosby in this tune, stating that rather than only play the bass line in the first chorus, Crosby adds solo fills that have become standard repertoire for the bass world, and Ahmad Jamal gives him the space in which to do it. The other brilliance happens in the walking bass lines that follow. People ask how to play melodic bass lines? Here's the answer, folks. Unquote. 
So today what Israel Crosby is doing probably wouldn't be called a solo, and John Clayton does admit that such fills have become standard repertoire, but in 1958, this was pretty revolutionary. I think you can count them as solos, very short solos, that Jamal clears space for him to play. Give a listen to what he does near the beginning of this piece. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz on Trent Radio and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. This is Larry Sademan, inviting you to tune in next week for part two of the jazz solo. From Live from the Pershing, this is Ahmed Jamal with Israel Crosby on bass and Vernel Fournier on drums. But not for me. (laughs) 